Thank you so much, Grada. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, those on the live stream. Good to be with you here. So we're continuing our series in Nehemiah 5. I've got all my jokes lined up, Calvin. Um, I may have to point you to when we get to them, just in case you don't recognise them as jokes as such. But otherwise, we're good to go. So I'm going to start with something quite sobering, actually. You may not be able to read all that, it doesn't really matter, but it's, um, the title is Share of Deaths by Cause World 2017. And we probably know this intuitively, but the causes of death from the inside, things like diseases, infections, cancers, far outstrip the causes of death from the outside, road incidents, murder, natural disaster. And, of course, it goes without saying that the two are linked, so someone doesn't die of air pollution, but they might die of lung cancer, which is related to air pollution. And I think there is a bit of an illustration here for us as we continue our story with Nehemiah and apply it to our own challenges in terms of rebuilding our community and also building our lives. And it's this, that it's not the threats from outside that should worry us the most. It's what happens on the inside that should be of greater concern. So why does persecution cause one church to fold and another church to grow? It's what happens in the hearts and the minds of the people. Why does um, a personal disaster cause one person to lose faith and another person to grow in faith. It's what happens in the heart and in the mind. So a fortnight ago, Andy spoke on Nehemiah chapter 4, the threat from the outside, and this Sunday, Nehemiah chapter 5, we're looking at troubles on the inside. Let's start with a problem, the first five verses. You might like to have your Bible open. We are going to skim through verses pretty quickly, um, but it's a useful reference point. One of the first problems that presented itself to the early church was a problem of food or lack of it. And what turned out to be the real problem, as far as the church leaders were concerned, was the distribution of that food. In other words, it was the problem on the inside of the community that needed to be addressed. And what we find in Nehemiah chapter 5 is something very similar. Again, there is an issue with food, lack of food. But the issue that Nehemiah addresses is not the food issue, it's the problem inside the community. Now, there were significant pressures on that community There was a famine, verse 3. The population had expanded because of the influx of people into the city and the economy hadn't caught up. Families had invested time in rebuilding the wall, neglecting their crops, and Persian taxation was draining their resources. So lots of real external pressures. But that's not the problem that Nehemiah tackles in Nehemiah chapter 5. The bigger problem is that some people were taking advantage of those external pressures. So the rich were charging interest on loans 
and making their own people destitute. Families were mortgaging their fields, their vineyards, their homes for basic food provision. And their sons and daughters were being sold into slavery to the rich. So it's the community leaders that are taking advantage of the vulnerable in this, their time of greatest need. So that's the problem. What is Nehemiah's... Oh, that's one too far. Let's go back. What is Nehemiah's reaction? When he heard the charges and the people's outcry, he was very angry. Aristotle said anyone can become angry, that's easy, but to be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose and in the right way, that's not easy. God is sometimes described as angry. And Paul wrote, in your anger do not sin in Ephesians 4. So there is an anger that isn't sinful. But how do we direct that anger? A husband said to his wife, when I get mad at you, you never fight back. How do you control your anger? She said, I clean the toilet. He asked, how does that help? She replied, I use your toothbrush. (laughs) That was it, Calvin. Do you want to write that one down? Because there are no more. (laughs) Well, that's one approach. Nehemiah followed a different tack. When I heard their outcry... And these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind. He took his time. He didn't fly off the handle. He took a step back from the situation. And he thought. And he pondered. And he reflected. And in my mind, I'm sure, tested his emotional reaction against the objective standard of God's law. And again, no doubt in my mind, took his anger in prayer to God, examining it to see if it was a righteous anger or not. I think there's a real lesson for us here. Some of us are very kind of reactive. Uh, Well, perhaps we all are reactive, but some of us react on the inside, some of us react on the outside. But there's a time and a place, isn't there, to just before we react verbally or physically, is to take a step back and to ponder and reflect and to test our reaction against the standard of God's word. So that's his reaction. What about his response? I'm having trouble with my clicker, so if I can... Do you mind if you advance the slides when I give you a subtle nod? That wasn't it, by the way. That was just, just a test. So Nehemiah's response, we're in the second part of verse 7 now. And I think as we look at verses 7 to 13, we have almost like a case study of a wise approach to tackling troubles on the inside. So firstly, Nehemiah tackles the issue openly and honestly. Now he was going to rebuke these offenders publicly, and we'll come to that shortly. But first, he rebukes them privately and frankly in verse 7. None of them will be able to accuse him later of bringing a hidden agenda to a public meeting. 
No one could say he'd sprung something on them. He was upfront and open from the start. And there is a time for keeping one's own counsel. We saw that, if you remember, if you were here in Nehemiah chapter 2. And there is a time for speaking out, and Nehemiah knew the difference. And when we come to our own personal problems on the inside, it's also important that we are open and honest with ourselves about our shortcomings and our failures. So let's call a spade a spade. God isn't convinced when we dress up our sin in um, whatever way, give it a new name to make it more acceptable. Unless we admit we are broken, God cannot mend us. So let's be honest with ourselves. Next, Nehemiah's response was anchored in God's law, verse 7. Now, there was a clear, irrefutable basis for his rebuke. And it's found in Deuteronomy 23, verse 19. Do not charge a fellow Israelite interest, whether on money or food or anything else, that may earn interest. So he said what he said, but he had good grounds for saying it. It was anchored in God's law. And again, I think that's a useful principle for us to apply. Why do we do the things we do? Why do we consider certain things problems and not other things problems? What is the basis for the decisions that we make? We need something sound, something dependable to rely on when we make our decisions. And there's no firmer basis for those decisions than the word of God itself. Next, his response was proportionate. He called a public meeting. Verse 7. So this wasn't a private sin. The whole community was involved. People were starving. Some had been forced into slavery. This was a serious public issue. And so Nehemiah makes them accountable with strong words in a public setting. And it just occurs to me that we can make mountains of molehills and molehills of mountains. Jesus laid into the Pharisees on one occasion. He said, Matthew 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mill, uh, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter, but without neglecting the former. So they made a big deal about people's neglect of tithing their spices, but the real big deal was their neglect of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And I wonder whether we make a big deal about small things and a little deal about big things. Nehemiah got it right. He was proportionate. Next, he challenges their inconsistency. Verse 8, you are selling your own people. Now, the Jews knew a thing or two about slavery. They'd been slaves in Egypt and had been rescued. They'd been slaves in Babylon, and some of them had found freedom again. They knew what it was to be free. I mean, freedom is, is valued and treasured in any culture, but particularly for the Jews, it was a symbol of God's pleasure and God's favor on them as a nation. But now some individuals are being forced back into slavery by their own people. How inconsistent. You know, I think we have a low tolerance for inconsistency in others, and um, our politicians give us plenty of opportunity to criticize inconsistencies. 
But do we recognize the inconsistencies in our own lives? Do we need help, maybe uh, someone helping us to just identify where our inconsistencies are? Nehemiah challenged the inconsistency that he saw. Next, Nehemiah shows his concern for God's honor, verse 9, by appealing to the testimony of the community. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? And it reminds me of Paul's words to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6. If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? One brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers, he says. It's the testimony of God. That really exercises Paul. And it's the testimony of God that exercises Nehemiah here. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God and avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? Next, verse 10, Nehemiah clarifies the issue. I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let's stop charging interest. Now, some people see in verse 10 a confession by Nehemiah in effect, he's saying, well, you know, I admit we too have been lending money, but it seems to me that he's making clear what the issue is. What he's saying is that it's not the lending of money and grain that's the issue. It's demanding interest. It's taking people's property, like pawnbrokers, until they can pay it back. That's what the issue is. And again, I think there's a principle here. We can spend time chasing issues that aren't the real issues. Nehemiah could have written a policy about lending. What it was acceptable to lend, when it was acceptable to lend, who it was acceptable to lend to, and so forth. But the issue wasn't lending. The issue was charging interest. I wonder if sometimes we get our issues muddled up. We think our issue is one thing, when in fact it's something else. We think our issue is not enough money, when maybe it's not enough control over our spending. We think our issue is too much to do, but maybe it's too much distraction. We think our issue is being too honest with people, but maybe our issue is being too insensitive with people. We can't tackle the issue unless we're clear what the issue is. And Nehemiah nailed the issue. Then verse 11. He demands concrete actions. Really specific here, isn't he? Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves and houses, and also the interest that you're charging them. 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. The timescale is clear and the actions are clear. I don't know if anyone's familiar with the concept of a round to it. This is something I came across when I, when I was a teenager, and for some reason it stuck with me. Um, probably, again, a reflection of my poor sense of humour. But a round to it is an indispensable item that helps you accomplish all those things you put aside until you get around to it. Some people have not seen that before. You've missed out on so much in life. So bad. We all get around to it. 
Although it's not clear what the it is, or the when we'll get around to it, or the what getting around to it actually means, we never actually clarify it. And so nothing ever happens. We never get around to it. If you take away anything from this morning, take away around to it. But Nehemiah demands concrete actions on the part of the community. And they say, we will. There's an enthusiastic response. But he's not finished yet. Because next, he secures their commitment, binding them to an oath. Verse 12. I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they'd promised. So he knew it can be easy to agree to something. So yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. But it's harder to go back on a decision if you've made a public commitment to keep to it. And again, there's a principle here for us in terms of personal change. It's easy to say, I'll do this or I'll stop doing that. But if we share that commitment with someone else, say, will you just check up on me? I'm going to try and do this. I want you to ask me tomorrow, next week, whether I've done it or not. You make, you make a public commitment, and that reinforces, that strengthens the commitment that you actually make. If we're struggling to keep our commitments, then maybe that's something that we can do. Finally, he act out prophetic judgment on any future oath breakers by shaking out the folds of his robe, verse 13. And again, I'm reminded of Jesus' example to his disciples or his invitation to his disciples to do something similar in Matthew 10. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. But I'm going to go out on a limb here and suggest that invoking a curse on yourself or on others in your community for not keeping its promises is probably inappropriate for us. There is a place for penalties in the legal system for those who break community laws. That is societal justice. And there is a place for judgment on those who reject God's message. That is divine justice. But there's no place for us taking personal justice into our own hands. That's a clear New Testament principle. So as I skim through this first part of Nehemiah chapter 5, or this middle bit, it just strikes me that there are some really simple but wise principles here that we can apply in a community context or in the context of our personal lives when we are experiencing troubles. It's a template for uh, dealing with troubles. And he was clearly successful. Look at verse 12. We will do as you say. Verse 13. The people did as they promised. So Nehemiah's wise reaction and wise response leads to a successful outcome. But it all would have been undermined were it not for one other thing. And that was Nehemiah's personal example. And this is what we get in the final few verses of the chapter. Verse 14. Neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. Verse 16. We didn't acquire any land. Unlike the other nobles, Nehemiah chose not to take advantage of his rights and privileges. 
as a governor. Verse 15, the earlier governors placed a heavy burden on the wall. Verse 16, I instead devoted myself, devoted myself to the work on this wall. So previous governors placed a burden on those who couldn't carry it. But Nehemiah shared the burden and kept true to his calling to rebuild the wall. As one commentator put it, he used his privileges for helping the people. He didn't use the people to build a kingdom for himself. And if there's one phrase that sums up Nehemiah's example, and if there's one phrase I wish you would take away from this morning rather than around to it, it's this one here, verse 16. Out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. When some were saying, feather your own nest, Nehemiah, his response was, I did not. Some were saying, when in Rome, Nehemiah, when in Rome, Nehemiah, I did not. Some were saying, you've got a right. I did not. He stood out from the crowd. He stood out in the culture of his time. We've got high expectations of our leaders, rightly so, to stand out and be different. But actually, I think the people outside the church have high expectations of those inside the church. When I was a, a when I'd become a Christian as a teenager, there was an occasion when I wanted to bunk off school. And my mum, who wasn't a Christian at the time, said to me, that's not the kind of thing a Christian does. She was absolutely right. There's a certain expectation in the minds of those who aren't part of the Christian community that those who are part of the Christian community will live in a certain way with honesty and integrity. They will stand out and be different. My friends are bunking off school, but I wasn't to bunk off school. It was a different standard. And as believers, we should stand out from the crowd, and we will if we have reverence for God. And I think this is what is at the heart of Nehemiah's distinctiveness. He's challenged the people in verse five, shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God? Challenges the nobles. Where did he get the right to issue that challenge? Well, out of his own reverence and fear for God. Out of reverence for God, I did not. That's where he got the right to challenge them. That he lived differently. He had a different motivation, a different guiding light. And so he lived differently. So in summary, if we can just have the, the last slide. Thank you very much. Nehemiah's story all those years ago in, in a context that we might think is so irrelevant, you know, 2,000 plus years ago, a man is building a wall. What possible relevance could that have to us in our own daily lives? But as we look at Nehemiah's example, it's intensely practical, intensely practical, so much wisdom about tackling problems. 
and so powerful a challenge um, about his personal example too. I know I fall short so much in terms of his reaction, response and example. But we can come to God for grace. We can come to God for forgiveness for where we've fallen short of that standard that we know we should uphold. We can come to him for wisdom and for courage for the next step, for the next day, to be the kind of people, the kind of person that Nehemiah was, the kind of people that God calls us to be, distinct and different, building God's kingdom here in our own place. Amen.